Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you want to partner with us by giving into this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. I'm so glad that you're here in church and listen. I want to welcome our online audience as well, and we're just so grateful. And McCampus, I love you, and I'm so grateful for you. Can we just honor our team of leadership, Pastor John and Michelle? Can we honor Pastor Wade and Pastor Cameron, our end McCampus, and our leadership and our leadership here? And how about our dream team? Our dream team that always just hits a home run every Sunday and making sure our, our church thrives. We're, we're just so grateful because we have an amazing, amazing church and amazing uh, leadership. Pastor John last week talked to us about being farmers. And uh, this past Christmas, my brother got me some cowboy boots. And I was going to wear them today, but I realized that my skinny jeans don't go around the so I have to get a new pair of pants just for those boots. But I'm trying to become a little bit more oaky, okay? Okay, I'm just trying to be become more oaky. Um, Riley, I see you're laughing. I mean, please, please don't. Please stop. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit, uh, since we talked about last week about farmers, today we get to talk about soil and water, okay? So... Uh, but before we dive in, listen, if, if you're joining us for the first time online or just here, I want to encourage you. I would, I would say go back and watch the, the last three weeks. But I believe God is doing something amazing in our body here recently. And I, I would encourage you, go back and watch the, the message series in January called Available. Because that began to stir something and prepare our hearts for something that I believe that we haven't seen in a long time. And a special move of the Holy Spirit. And, and we just want to say, Lord, I'm available. Whatever it is that you want to do. My schedule is open. My life is yours, God. I don't want Christianity for the sake of Christianity. I need an encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what God is doing. Um, so we're just going to uh, dive, dive in. And now I have two, two verses, two scriptures for you that I'm going to read, but um, I'm going to start with one first. It comes out of the book of Acts, chapter 8, if I can get this settled. There we go. Um, so let's go to, to Acts chapter 1, 8. Sorry. It says, but you will receive power. Come on, somebody give me some power uh, arms. Power, oh, there we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the second one we'll read later, that comes out of John chapter 4, if you want to take notes later on. My, my message title for you today is simply this, I could use a drink. I could use a drink. I'm not talking about 2020. Some of you guys are got excited. Some of you got, got offended. Just wait until I preach, okay? <laughs> You're probably going to get more offended. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm, I feel just unremoved today. But um, this is not about 2020. And, and even though this might be a little bit awkward, I want us to try this. Our staff has tried it a couple of times. 
and I believe we're just, we're just wanting to do something new. Um, so we're going to, uh, Edmund, I know you're with me, and we tried it at the 9, and it went just well. But I want us to start with a moment of silence to quiet our souls, to hush every voice around us that you may have brought, come with, maybe even on the way to church, and so that the Holy Spirit can have the first word even before I speak. Because whatever he says to you, it's going to be way more powerful than anything that comes out of my mouth. Can we do that? In fact, I want to, I didn't want to get you to, to get your hands in a receiving posture. So we can say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do in our lives, just do it. But I don't want you to pray. I just want you to listen. If you're watching me online, let's do that together. Holy Spirit, our hearts are open, our ears are open for you to speak truth and love into our lives. May we, may we be receptive to the point that we are transformed, not by anything that comes out of my mouth, but by the transforming power of your word that is alive. And because of it, may we become alive as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I know that was probably hard for all my fellow ADHD extroverts, you know. It takes a while for us to quiet our minds, but I, I felt like it was important for us to, for, for us to start with this. Um, I recently found out something interesting about my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, Quinn, that she likes honey with her scrambled eggs. So whenever she eats her pancakes... She doesn't mind the honey running through the eggs. And before, you know, I was going to judge her for, for doing this. I mean, we're a Latino family. Come on. Um, you don't do this. The only running thing on your eggs is going to be salsa. I mean, that's, that's known. But I was going to judge her. But, you know, let's be honest. I like ketchup on my scrambled eggs with Tabasco. Something I didn't know about my wife before we got married was that the fact that she likes ketchup on her fajitas. This obviously, if I would have known this, this would have come up multiple times in our premarital counseling. <laughs> I had a mentor, um, actually I have a mentor, Pastor Greg Haley from, from, from Dallas, who every day for lunch would, would eat a sliced banana and mayo sandwich. There are some things that when you give a first look, um, they, they don't seem to go well together. Like marriages are a perfect example of this. How in the world would, would, you know, uh, would God bring this woman with this man and there's no way uh, that that could happen? But so whenever I, I read Acts chapter 1 and then John chapter 4, they, they seem to be just kind of doing their own thing until I began to recognize that Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that we read, kind of is sprinkled throughout the entire Bible, and especially the book of John. 
like we're going to read today in just a little bit. Um, in Acts 1.8, it says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. When we read this, this is, these are the marching orders of Jesus after he died and resurrected right before he ascended up to heaven. This is what he's telling the disciples and telling us that we must do. And for a long time, we understood that when Jesus speaks of Jerusalem, he's talking about your city, your area of influence. When he, when he talks about uh, Judea, he talks about the surrounding regions or, or your nation. Then when he talks about Samaria, he talks about your enemies, right? Because Samaritans were sworn enemies of, of, of the Jews. And then when he talks about, and to the ends of the earth, he's talking about all nations. But today, I want to expand that beyond the geographical implications of this text. Because when I, when I begin to think about this, I recognize that at least in my block, couple of houses down, I have some dear Muslim friends from Iran. Across the street, I have a, a, a female widow who lost her husband just last year. Then at the end of the block, I have a, a male widow, Mr. Sweet, 93 years old, who lives by himself. And then I also have uh, a family that, we, that, we, that moved less than a year ago, that's completely unchurched. So for me to want to go on a mission trip, I don't have to go overseas. All I have to do is go check my mail, and I'm there. And the best part about it, I'd have to start a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for this mission trip. It's, all of it is right there in my neighborhood. So so when I used to read this text, I, I, I would get like all Pentecostally excited, kind of like I just became uh, an avenger for Jesus. You shall receive power. Yes. But if I understand correctly that I don't have to go to the world for the world to be, now the world has come to me in this day and age that, that we live in, then this is probably how I would read this text now. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in your neighborhood. You will be my witnesses in your neighborhood. You don't have to wait till you go to Bible school, till you, till you, go, till you go to a mission trip. You can start right now. And in fact, in the, the world that we live in, we are called to start even, even now. And when I read this, I asked myself, Man, how spirit-filled am I really if I'm not going to my neighbors first? If I'm not going to the world that's around me? And, the God, and God began to challenge me on that. Now, I, I want us to get a, a bird's eye view of what's happened. Now, this picture that, that's behind me, we'll, this painting that we'll, we'll, we'll get to talk to it in a little bit, talk about it in a little bit. But I'm going to try this. I, I think I accidentally pressed a laser. Uh, on the way, on, on, on my way up here. So people thought, oh, we're going to have a cool light show. No, it was just this thing. Okay. So chapter four that we're on, it's going to take place right here in Sychar. I mean, that, that, in the story that we're going to, that, that we're going to read. 
Uh, but before we get to chapter 4, we're actually going to go to Jerusalem right here where Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Remember this guy? And Jesus tells him, uh, you must be born of water and the Spirit in order to get into heaven. So that's chapter 3. Then we'll go to chapter 4 in Sakar, And then we're going to jump to chapter 7 that's in Jerusalem as well. Because in Jerusalem, on chapter 7, they're about to start the festival of tabernacles or the, or the festival of, of uh, uh, Sukkot. And in that festival, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem and grab water with a pot and then bring it to the temple and pour it as, a, as an offering on the altar. So we're going to start with a bird's eye view and then we'll begin to, to zoom in little by little. Um, so in our Samaritan story in chapter 4, typically you remember by itself, and it's one story. But when I began to study, I began to understand that chapter 3 and chapter 4, even though there are two completely different characters, there's a lot of things that we must learn about these two characters first. Chapter 3 is Nicodemus, and chapter 4 is the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, so prior to meeting this woman, Jesus is in Jerusalem talking to Nicodemus, who happens to be the most well-known rabbi, religious Pharisee of his time. If anyone knew the Torah, if anyone knew the scripture, it was Nicodemus. But let's look at them closely because you have Nicodemus who was a prominent religious leader. And you have the Samaritan woman who we don't even know her name. And she, had, she, was, she also had a reputation but wasn't a good one. Then we have Nicodemus who's re, who is not reported to follow Jesus right away. But this Samaritan woman that we're going to dive into with after one conversation... Her life changes and, and, and her faith is placed on Jesus. The conversation with Nicodemus had no effect on his peers, but this woman went to her town and changed the entire city. Jesus spoke to, speaks to Nicodemus in vague terms. If you remember, he tells him, you must be born again. That was, that was not, not a common term. And to this woman, he declares very clearly that he is the Messiah. In Jerusalem, with Nicodemus and the religious leaders, they're already rejecting Jesus. But because of the message of this Samaritan woman, her entire city in Samaria begins to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. I have no points on this message. So maybe you just got excited, and I don't know why. That's not going to make it shorter. But what I believe, I really pray that the Holy Spirit personalizes for you. And in fact, if you come, if you come up with some points that you want to share with me, because some of you are going to anyway, <laughs> you're going to say, oh, you should have said this. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. Prepare for 30 hours for this message, but I missed that one little thing, you know. Um, I encourage you, if you follow me on social media or, 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 or just, just write out, I, I'd love to hear what the, what the Holy Spirit is saying to you through this. And 9 o'clock this morning, that happened. I've already gotten a couple of emails, 
and, and notes about what God is saying to people. And, and, and I love that because God speaks to us in our own level. But let's, let's dive into John chapter 4. And it says, um, verse 4 through 6, And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son, to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired from his journey, was just sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why? Obviously because of this woman, but also because he was wanting to bring up and to challenge the religious people of his time to bring up their prejudice against Samaritans and against people who did not believe like the Jews. In fact, Jesus does this throughout the gospel. In one of his most famous parables, it's called the Good Samaritan. Man from Samaria. In, one, in the story of the ten lepers, one of, you know, they all get healed, but only one comes back to Jesus to give him thanks. He was a leper from Samaria. And then in chapter 4, he has an encounter with this Samaritan woman after spending time with their religious leaders of their time. If we go back to this map, this kind of helps you understand. The normal route from Jerusalem to Cana, where they're headed in chapter 4, it's this green line to Cana that was right here. That was about a 75-mile walk. If you wanted the shorter route, it would be from Jerusalem to Cana, what's to go through Samaria. But there was such hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans that the Jews would rather go around and take an extra 15 miles than go straight through Samaria. Not only that, they would have to cross over the Jordan River twice just so that they could skip the Samaritans. Now, Jesus had been walking already for 40 miles. So he's already tired. And verse 7, we pick up, and it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, that you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And the Greek word for associate is sukraomai, which means the sharing of eating utensils and dishes. In other words, you Jew, Jewish people don't, don't share a table with Samaritans, and you're asking to borrow for me to use my Samaritan bucket. This, is, this doesn't make sense. Jesus, just by simply asking her for a drink of water, refuses to fit the Jewish stereotype on the treatment of Samaritans. That's our first clue on how to scatter seed. How to witness. She gets completely off guard because in her own words, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And this was really putting it, putting it mildly. There had been bitter, strong hatred feelings between Jews and Samaritans for over 720 years. The Samaritans were Jewish people that had mixed and married 
with non-Jewish people from other nations. During the captivity of King Nebuchadnezzar, when he captured Israel and brought, the, brought them exiled to Babylon, he left some, some Jewish people there, but also King Nebuchadnezzar sent other people, for other captives from other nations. He moved them to Jerusalem. So in this city, they began to mix with Jewish people and to marry to the point that when Israel came back from Babylon and they found these new families, they said, you guys are not, are not Jewish any longer. You have breeds. Get away from our home. So the Samaritans built a temple on a different mountain because they wanted to continue the, the practice. But there was so much animosity that later on, years later, the Jews ended up destroying their temple, saying, it is pagan. We only have a temple in Jerusalem. So you could understand there was blood, bad blood, just to say the least, between those two people. And yet Jesus arrives in Samaria, and he has the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and another person in the Gospels. Verse 10, he says, Jesus replies to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is sent it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And I just marvel at how Jesus scatters seed in this story, how he witnesses to this woman, which, a side note, let me remind you, we will always learn better evangelism from Jesus than from people. And we will always get better Christianity from Christ than from Christians. Listen, some of us mess it up even with our best intentions. And I know we have some people here that are watching online in our campuses that you've been hurt by church. You've been hurt by people. And as much as I want to say I'm so sorry, I just, I just pray, go to Jesus Go to Jesus. Get your source from him. Stop looking at people. Stop looking at a denomination. Stop looking at churches. And just put your faith in Jesus. He will never, ever let you down. So in this story, I wonder if maybe Jesus has given us some tips on how to witness and evangelize. And I started talking to myself here. Maybe Jesus... He's showing us that the people that he wants us to go to are the people that are humble, that have been pushed aside by society in the name of religion and doctrine. Jesus would sit by the people that have a passionate political view that's opposite than ours. Jesus would sit by the ones we unfollow or even block in social media because of where they sin. Let me take it a step further. If Jesus were here today, he would sit by the scandalous, by the controversial, by the people that don't look or live like Christians. The people that have different opinions than you and I about, here we go, buckle up, about masks, vaccines, black, li black life matters, abortion, and gender equality. This is the people that Jesus will go to Samaria for. And this is the people that God is calling us to reach. 
Verse 11, she said to him, sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. It was about 75 feet deep. Where then do you get this living water? In other words, Jesus, what she was saying is, there's no way that you can reach the depth of my need. It is far beyond your reach. And that's where so many of us find ourselves today. Verse 11, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. But the water I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Now, this woman has heard a lot of approaches before from different men. But this time something was different about this Jesus. Because he was not asking something from her. Like what she was used to. Instead, she's, he's offering something valuable to her. Jesus knew very well that this was the well that this woman came every day to get water. Because she could get no satisfaction <laughs> and I'm telling you she tried and tried and tried I, I love that you're laughing right now that's our church I love that you're laughing if you're wondering what's happening just ask, some, ask somebody a little bit older than you but this is this is what what we do, let me ask you this, let me ask us this, because this has been speaking to my heart. What is the, the well that we keep coming to regularly because we can feel our thirst in our lives? Take it a step further. Who is the person that we hope fills our thirst for love, affection, identity, but no matter how many times we drink from this source, we end up thirsty again, not long after that. How many, how many posts do you have to put on social media? How many likes? How many people do you want to respond to your video so that you can feel value? I even heard someone say, well, you know, if I become famous, then I'll be able to do something for Jesus. How many likes? How many views? I just want to be seen. And, and we become thirsty. And we expect social media to give us worth and identity when in reality, it's a void and a hole that only Jesus can fill us with. But we keep coming to this well. We be coming to this well and, and we try to drink from it. If I can just find someone, if I, someone can show me that I matter, if someone, if I can, if no one pays attention to me, but I know someone will listen to me and we get a feeling for a day and then the next morning we shut the alarm off only to try to drink a little bit more because we're thirsty all over again. What is the well that we keep coming to, coming to every day? Our anxiety rises, our insecurities take over unless we get a drink from this source. We try relationship after another. We try sin. We try habits one after the other. But later on, we eventually find out that, that we will not get satisfied. 
We, we quickly realize that any unquenched thirst we don't give to Jesus eventually becomes our master. Jesus was selling this woman and he's selling us today in, in verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing to eternal life. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy your thirst. Only Jesus can fill us up. He offers eternal life today. But listen, in this verse we understand that it was not a water just for, to satisfy our thirst, but this water turns into a fountain that never runs dry. Why? So that other people who are thirsty can drink from us well. Let me ask you this. Who around us is desperate for this water and don't even know that they can get it from us? That's how the Holy Spirit dealt with me first. Verse 15, he says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw, to draw water. In other words, the woman says, Sign me up. I'm tired of coming to this well every single day. And I end up thirsty and thirsty all over again because she thought it was a physical need. Jesus responds in a way that he, sh he shows her. Your need is not physical or emotional. Your need is spiritual. Verse 16, he says to her, go call your husband and come here. And this is where a story turns into a Jerry Springer type story. <laughs> go call your husband. And she's like, oh. Um, yeah. So this is what she, I, I love this. I never picked up on this. So this is what she says to, to, to Jesus. Um, and she says, well, uh, can we talk about a theological issue? And, and we'll get into it just in a little bit. But the woman's answer and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This which you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, um, yeah, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> really? Um, by the way, our fathers worshipped uh, on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place when one must worship. In other words, she's bringing a theological issue about the temple that was destroyed by the Jews, the Samaritan temple, where they were supposed to worship. So she says, uh, why don't you tell me which one is the one that we, that, that we should worship? Now, let's talk a little bit about this, this painting, because I came across this painting in my research, and this is a painting of the woman at the well. In fact, at the top of her head, you see a phrase that says, thirst no more. And this was done by, by Sarah Beth Baca that I encourage you. She, she did a painting of all the women characters in the Bible. Follow on social media. I was just mesmerized by these beautiful paintings. And I did this because I wanted to see this woman not through the typical Western lens that I, that I normally look at her through. When I would think about uh, this woman, I would look at her with a suspicious eye. I suspect she is the wrongdoer. She not only has got baggage, she owns the entire collection. 
This woman is trouble. She is damaged goods. She's made some horrible mistakes, and that's why she is where she is. But this is far from the true context of the text. And let me prove it to you. In ancient Judaism, in in the Torah, a woman was not allowed to initiate a divorce, which means in this woman's story that she had been disposed of five times already. Five men had said, sorry. She had been a victim of abusive men who just wanted to use her. She's a Samaritan, which means she's already the object of prejudice, hatred, and racism by her Jewish neighbors. She's been abandoned and rejected by man. She came by herself to draw water instead of with a group of, men, with a group of women in the early morning like it would have been tradi- traditionally done. Instead, she comes by herself at the sixth hour, which is noontime, during the hottest part of the day. Why would you walk a mile away from your city to carry a big pot of water by yourself in the heat of the day? Because she doesn't want to be seen in public. She would rather deal with the heat of the sun than the burning looks of those that are supposed to be her friends. Maybe she was tired of walking into rooms and listening the whispers of the people that thought she wasn't listening. Even worse, she is trapped. She can't leave her situation because she would be treated worse anywhere else in Judea or Galilee. She might be even stoned to death if she goes to her Jewish godly neighbors. And as bad as it is, listen, she knows that this is the best life she could ever get, so she stays. Maybe that's where some of us find ourselves today. You think that your life is so trapped that you right now are living the freest you'll ever be. I have some great news for you. Before you ever showed up to this well, Jesus was sitting here waiting for you to offer you something that no one else can offer you today. This woman is not even given a name. She's known where she comes from, but I promise you, I am certain Jesus knew her name. And we know this because in verse 4, it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus tells us, tells her in verse 18, For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband. She replies, our fathers worship on this mountain, and yet you Jews said that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. In other words, Jesus eventually tells her, woman, you're worried about a place of worship. I'm going to introduce you the person who is worthy of your worship. Verse 23 says, but a time is coming, and even now has arrived, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For, sh- for such people, the Father seeks 
to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must spirit and worship and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus says to her, I am he, the one who's speaking to you. You didn't know it. But the one who can satisfy your thirst is the one talking to you. And this woman, can you imagine her response? The Bible says in verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city. And I love this because she came with a water pot and she ends up leaving the thing that she originally thought was going to fill her. She leaves it behind at the feet of Jesus. And she says, I, I no longer need that. I found out something much greater that I must go and tell the people. The same people who have rejected me, I'm going to go to them. Because I found potentially who the Messiah could be. And as she's running out, leaving her water pot, leaving the thing that she thought was going to fill her up. She walks away from it. As she's walking away, the disciples are coming in. And verse 31 tells us, Rabbi, eat something, they say to Jesus. But he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, did someone bring him Subway or something and we just missed it? <laughs> Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Then we get into the farming terms. Do you not say... There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, raise your eyes and observe the fields, that they are white for the harvest. And people believe that when Jesus is saying this to the disciples, he's pointing to Sychar, and he's seeing the crowd of people on their way to meet him at the well. And he's telling them, it is no longer time to wait. The harvest is at hand. I prepared you for this moment. Pastor John talked about it last week when he was saying, talking about the disciples and, and us becoming farmers. Jesus would say this in the book of Acts, chapter 1, that we read, letting us know the harvest is ready. Go witness. Go become the witness of what I have done in your life. The water that you have drank from. Go talk to people about it. Verse 30 says, now from that city, many of the Samaritans believed him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of this word. And they were saying to the woman, listen, I love this. It is no longer because of what you say to us that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and know that this one truly is the Savior of the world. One of the greatest prayers that we can pray is for our children, for our family to come into understanding. I can't wait till the day they say, Daddy, I no longer believe because you brought me to church. I no longer believe because of what you believe. But I believe because I've had an encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit, I have met Jesus on my own. We could stop here 
And it would be a great story, but there's so much more taking place in, in this story. Because not only chapter 3 and chapter 4 are connected, then we find a further connection in chapter 7. Back in Jerusalem, when they're about to start the Feast of the Tabernacles, the festival of, of, of Sukkot. And this is the festival where Jews celebrated the time they wandered in the wilderness, in the desert, and they lived in in man-made tents. Chapter 7 also speaks of water. So each day during this feast, they would take this golden pot and go to the pool in Jerusalem, go to the pool of Siloam, and bring it to the temple to drop it into the altar. This is an eight-day festival. And on the seventh day, Hoshana Rabbah, scholars believe that as this water was being poured onto the altar, that Jesus is standing there watching with his disciples. In the midst of all the crowd watching and listening, because they would do this every, every year. And as the priests are lifting up the pot of water and dumping it onto the altar, Jesus stands up and begins to declare in John chapter 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from the innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this, he said, in accordance to Acts chapter 1a, in accordance to the spirit from who... Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit had not been yet given. So through this scripture, we see the life-given, free-flowing water that is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Which believers would receive after, after Jesus completed his earthly mission. Why do we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us according to Acts 1.8? So that we can be witnesses? Yes. When Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Samaria, they remember immediately the Samaritan woman. Because Jesus had led them by example on how to witness to people that were different than who they were. Why do I need the Holy Spirit? And yesterday as I was preparing, just the Holy Spirit just spoke something into me and, and took me to Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to re- read this with me. It says, now no shrub on the field was yet upon the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not set rain upon the earth. And there was no man to cultivate the ground. What is ground? Soil. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground, the soil. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, from the soil, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means air in motion. It also means breath. So the picture that we see here in Genesis 2 is is God putting his breath into dirt and, and becoming humankind. It's only through God's spirit, through God's breath, that dirt, that ground, that soil can receive life. Listen, it is only through God's spirit, it is only through the Holy Spirit coming upon you that something that seems useless and dirty and meaningless can be turning to something with a purpose. 
When I began to think about this Samaritan woman and bring in her pot, I realized it is not just a vessel of water for water. This is soil. Sebastian Oscar, you're off a little bit. What do you mean this is soil? Before this became a vase, it used to be mud. It used to be clay. It used to be dirt. But mixed in with a little bit of water in the hands of a potter, in the hands of a creator, something that was dirty, something that had no purpose, something that was messed up, something that had no meaning, just a little bit of water, just a little bit of molding, little by little became a vessel to, to, to fill in with water from the, from, from the Spirit. And that's what God is telling us today. You may see your dirt. You may see your past. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to come and bathe you with his presence, if you allow the master to, to, to put your life in his hands, it will t- turn you into something with meaning and purpose and identity. You were created for much more than just to remain on the ground. He wants to fill you with living water. I remember my Catholic mom was, was religious. She did not know the Lord and married my dad who was, who was not a believer, even though he came from a Christian family. And, and she would set up the candles. She would pray to all her saints. And, and none of those prayer ever changed my habitual drunk driving father. Happened repeated times, multiple accidents, multiple accidents, and God miraculously will, will spare his life time after time. And we're talking about rolling his car down hills because he was so drunk. And one, on one occasion, they were on their way home, it's four o'clock in the morning, and she decided to change her prayer. She went away from the religion that she knew, and she said, God, if you're real, you're gonna have to do something here because we're about to die. About two blocks before they made it to, to our house in Mexico, if, if, we would, if I would take you there right now, the 60-foot tree still standing there. She said that she looked up. My wife has heard this story before. And even though there were no lights on the street, there was a light on the tree. And when she looked up, she saw the body of a man in a, in a white robe. She couldn't see her face because he was glowing. But she knew right then that God had a plan and a purpose for her life and to, to use her mess. And right now, I believe that we have some people here today that you relate to this woman at the well. If that's you, I want you to listen. Because before you were born, God knew you. Before you were born, God called you. 
If God knew you before you were born, that means he knew all the mistakes and all your failures and all your sin and all your hidden secrets that you would commit in life. Even knowing that about you, he still call you. Why? If he still call you, even even though he knew that we would fail, it's probably because he's not done with your story. He's not done with your journey. All he's asking you, don't resist him. Put your life, your life in the hands of a potter and let him begin to build something out of your life. Maybe some of you guys are here and you relate to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the person, the religious person that knew everything about the Torah, knew everything about the law, but didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I think our churches are filled with Nicodemus today. Throughout our nation. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to drink from this water. Because religion, without the life-given water of the Holy Spirit, will turn into nothing but dead works, and it will drain the life out of your Christianity. Maybe some of you guys don't relate to the Samaritan woman or Nicodemus, but you relate to the disciples. And even though you're trying to follow Jesus... Every once in a while, you miss the Samaritan woman that's walking right by you on your way to serve Jesus. Say, when did that happen? As they were headed to town, there was only one way to town. Guess who they would have seen seen come across their, their road on their way. As they were going to serve Jesus, they missed out on the woman that would end up changing her whole village. Who are we missing that God has called. Who are we avoiding? Who are we overlooking because of what they believe? Because of their lifestyle? And God is calling you and I not to miss those people while we're serving the master. I want us to pray. And in fact, I want us to go into a song of worship. Just because I, I, I I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to respond. And I know there's some people that might be here and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with, with walking a mile to get my water. I'm okay with feeling thirsty every single Sunday. But I believe that there's others of you here that you say, Pastor Oscar, I'm not okay. I need to drink of this water. I've been following religion so many times and I've gotten tired and I drink, I need a fresh drink from the Holy Spirit today and I believe he wants to offer it to you. I want us to pray that I want, I want us to go into the song and then I'll come back and give, and, and give us further instruction and, and hand it over to, to our Edmund campus as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are here. You are here. We feel your presence, God. We ask you to speak into our lives and prepare our hearts at the beginning. So right now we just pray that you would open up our hearts so that we can receive from the living water that's only found in your presence through your spirit. Help us, God, today not walk away without tasting this water, this living eternal water that only comes from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, 
We are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.